I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to another Irish Examiner Football Show. I'm Larry Ryan. I'm by myself today because I'm out at Cork County Hall for the launch of the new Monster Centre of Excellence set to be built over the next couple of years. Later in the show we'll catch up with John Delaney just to see when we can expect that project to be completed. Also here today is David Myler um, who had a nice chat with Trevor Welsh earlier um, so we'll, have, we'll catch a little bit of that as well. We'll start though with yesterday's Premier League game between Man City and Arsenal. Familiar woe for Arsenal in Manchester, and uh, we'll start with the Arsenal side of things. Andrew Allen, the deputy editor of Ars Blog, he did our terrorist talk for the Arsenal City game today in the Examiner. Andrew, I, I suppose um, another day of mourning has broken out in Ars Blog Towers, I'd imagine? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, you always sort of pray for, a, for, a, for an unusual result when Arsenal turn up in Manchester, but kind of... Quite frankly, I wasn't overly surprised at the performance we ended up putting in, despite the fact that we'd gone out of our way to suggest that we shouldn't do what we did at Everton, which is, you know, not kill off a game that we were dominating. It's just, it's so frustrating. It's just so, so frustrating. And, you know, if anything, this was an even worse performance in the second half against Everton. Um, City really did look like they were there for the taking. The home crowd just weren't making any noise at all. And we just completely took our foot off the gash. And, and, you know, it's just, it's, it's dumbfounding, really, and quite frankly, at nine points behind Chelsea now, I just can't see how we get back into the title race. Yeah, you said um, Arsenal fans have seen this movie many times before. There is that inevitable sense that it's it's deja vu all over again, isn't it? The thing slips away in the in the new year, and uh, any sort of hope and momentum sort of gradually ebbs away. Then you probably win three or four games in a row, and it'll come back again, and then possibly lose to Chelsea, and it'll. Well, that's right. I mean, you look at the fixture list and I think I made the point that there's five very winnable games now before we play yeah. Chelsea, but then, then we have a very kind of almost nightmarish run where we have Chelsea away, Bayern Munich away, I think there's Liverpool away at some point in uh, March as well, so yeah. you kind of, you know, Arsenal fans are well versed in cherry-picking the games that we, uh, <laughs> we know we're going to have trouble with, and yeah. the problem is that... What, we look at the personnel and I don't even think aside from the absence of Kazuri you couldn't really complain about the fact that Arsenal were, were weakened yesterday I mean we really did have a good team on paper against the City team that were devoid of three of their big players and you know it was very similar where the United didn't have Ibrahimovic and we just didn't turn up that day either so you know where do you go is it a mental thing I mean Arsenal um, it was suggested recently have been working with um a sort of forensic psychiatrist, a guy who'd been helping with the kind of psychological side of the team. Yeah. But it does feel like we still have this same old mental block. And, um, you know, quite. we'll just have to see what happens. I mean, I, I, I think we're going to be in a real dogfight now for the top four. I mean, the momentum will swing throughout the season, I'm sure. But um, I think, realistically, unless Chelsea have a massive clash now, it's theirs for the, 
There did seem to be a sort of a frightening lack of ability to alter the momentum of the game once City equalised. Just a lack of game management, a lack of sort of, I don't know, they just they seem to continue to get dispossessed on the ball easily outside their own box and then on the other occasion kicked it away aimlessly, you know. I mean, it just... It's very worrying when, when, when teams step up the tempo in a game. And actually, you know, it was there to be seen in the first day of the season against Liverpool, a game that, again, we were winning 1-0 at half-time, conceded an early goal in the second half, and Liverpool suddenly found a bit of pep to their game. Yeah. And there they were. They scored two, three, four goals in the space of, you know, 10, 15 minutes, and the game was gone. And it's that kind of losing our heads, our inability to kind of sort of look around to say, OK, that's fine, we've conceded, but really we need to go and build on something now. And the midfield were all over the shop yesterday. I mean, Xhaka completely lost it. I thought Coquelin just mm. didn't seem to know what to do. And our ability to kind of work the ball out of defence to the attacking players was was abysmal. I mean, we just didn't do it at all. I think, you know, there was a picture, a shot of Sanchez on his haunches in the last 10 minutes. Yeah. I think one of the City players was, was receiving treatment, but he just... He had this look in his eyes, which was, how the hell have we done this again? You know, it was a sort of, this This is just appalling. And yeah. It was a, a view that was shared by pretty much every Arsenal fan. I haven't heard anybody take anything um, kind of positive from yesterday. I mean, Ozil is the usual fall guy in these games, and he certainly wasn't He wasn't great. But to be fair to him, I mean, the problems really st- happened much further back the pitch than him, didn't they? I mean, they, they, they found it difficult to get the ball as far as him, really. Yeah, I mean, the thing is with Ozil is, yeah, I mean, he's, he's a guy whose um, body language doesn't always <laughs> no, you know, no. win a fighter and all the rest of it. Mm. And he's an easy kind of lightning rod for some of the criticism when games like this go awry. But at the same time, I mean, there was plenty of evidence yesterday of him just sort of standing around, not doing any of the chasing down you might have expected from a player yeah. who, you know, at, at times this season really has actually led from the front. Um but, you know, Arsenal are trying to play a counter-attacking game these days, you know, much more kind of, with much more pace in the side than they have done in years gone by, you know, when we've had Giroud. And it kind of feels like we're leaving ourselves a little bit more open to sort of big chances. And, you know, maybe we're going to have to kind of have another look at how we set up in some of these kind of away games against big teams, because it's all well and good kind of thinking, OK, well, we'll use our pace, but if you're not actually creating any chance up front and all you're doing is leaving yourself open at the back, mm. it's a kind of the worst of both worlds, really. Sure. So, you know, we'll see how we go. I mean, I suspect now there's going to be a lot of, you know, confidence rebuilding on the part of Wenger. Um, we're going to have to win on Boxing Day just to steady the ship. Um, but... Yeah, it's going to make for a grim Christmas for Arsenal fans. I mean, you could, you, I'm sure you can easily recite the the Wenger press conferences at this stage afterwards. The the, the dropped dropped <laughs> dropped a little bit physically in the second half. I mean, if if they keep dropping a little bit physically in the second half, it could it be anything to do with fitness? I mean, they just they, they do. They, uh, I mean, they do seem to to I have that. I, I take on this point about there being a succession of away games. Mm. I admit that you know I, I suspect that playing away from home four games out of five does take a bit of a toil. I mean, he, he has a couple of kind of go-to lines. I mean, one is, yes, the, the sort of dropping physically in the second half. I mean, I don't know how much he actually believes in that. The mm. other is, is the kind of the obvious deflection tactic, which he kind of implemented at full force yesterday, which was blame everybody but the team. So really, yeah. really, really go for the referees. And that, you know, I've seen they would do that repeatedly over the course of the last, you know, 15 years, particularly in the last... 
you know, 12 years where things have been a little bit kind of meagre on the trophy front. And that's fine. I mean, I understand why he does it. He's not doing it, you know, for the fans. The fans aren't, you know, as far as he's concerned, someone that need a kind of a kind of clinical assessment of what's just happened there and then at that moment. All sure. he's trying to do at that particular moment is protect his players. Now, you can obviously question whether or not he's overly protective of the players and sometimes he probably should give them a bit of a rocket, but it's never been his style to do it publicly. Yeah, we'll just leave it at that on the, on the offside goals. I mean, I guess... From your point of view, both, both goals probably were offside. Do you think? I, I think, I think the first goal um, was offside. Just, I think the second goal is a little bit harder to tell. I mean, I, a couple of years ago, I think Arsenal played West Ham, and West Ham had a, a goal disallowed for exactly what had happened, which was a player going in front of I can't remember if it was Czech or Spina. Yeah. But um. It's, it's, it's one of those marginal calls which I think even if you had video evidence in that particular instance mm. necessarily proves that Silver had kind of got in front of Czech's line of sight. I mean, even Czech said he didn't know who was in his line of sight, just that there were players in his line of sight. Yeah. The problem with Czech is that quite often he gets beaten at his near post and, you know, twice, I guess, yesterday, that's exactly what happened. Um, so that's another issue that we've definitely got to look at. But you've also got a question, I mean, really, Montreal should not be allowing uh, Sterling to cut in as easily as he did. And on a couple of occasions recently, against Everton as well, you know, a player nipping past someone in that kind of channel area. Uh, last week it was, it was Coleman getting mm. a header after uh, Baines had cut in and got past Walcott. I mean, yeah. that's the kind of basic level of defending which you've just got to sort yourself out that you can't afford those mistakes. Yeah, sure. Listen, Andrew, thanks a million. We'll leave it there. Commiserations. Uh, no, thank you very much. My pleasure. Now we have Simon Curtis on the line. Uh, Simon writes for ESPN and also for the Manchester City website. Manchester City fan. Um, and today he did the, the Arsenal Man City Terrace talk for the Irish Examiner. Um, Simon, a big week, an interesting week for Man City, um, which finished well, as you say. A happy ending at last. Um, what did you make of the game? Well, the game yesterday was very, very interesting, wasn't it? It's uh, probably the best City have played this season, along with the game uh, against Barcelona in the Champions League. Yeah. Um, and both of those games have only really delivered a second half. Yeah. Um, City were, were being absolutely trampled on by Barcelona when they got a lucky break just before half-time and then turned the tables completely in the second half. And although they weren't... Uh, out of the game against Arsenal at one down they were struggling a little bit to, to make the chances we've had this problem all season of, of huge uh, possession stats in our favour and just not, not putting the ball in the net you know you can make the, the sense that City has to create perhaps 10 or 12 chances to score once but at the other end the first attack the opposition come up with they'll, they'll pop it in the net yeah um, that was coming true again against Arsenal. They scored with the first attack. Um, and it looked like we were going down the same avenue again. But that second half was really a revitalised team, considering that the players that were missing, uh, fantastic performance. And you could see, uh, despite all the joking about not knowing what tackles are and all that sort of uh, yeah. nonsense from, from Pep, there was a real bite in that second half performance. It wasn't just the, the nice passing and, and moving. It was, it was a game of... of uh, different quality and different strength. I thought. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned the tackles, uh, etc. Um, had there been a bit of disquiet among City fans? Do you think at Pep's sort of almost 
lack of regard for the traditions of English football, the blood and thunder and the, the tackles and all of that? Or, or, or would City fans almost relish that in some ways? I think a, a lot of us are enjoying the ride, to be honest. It's, yeah. it's certainly different. He, he certainly has uh, uh, apparently little, either little regard or, or, or little skill in dealing with the press and, and after that dealing with the fans. I think it's not his... It's uh, his central focus, you know, he's, he's absolutely obsessed with getting the, the shape of the team right and getting the, the style of the team how he wants it. Yeah. And I think all the, all the, all the peripheral stuff he's, he's not so interested in and it, it shows in how he comes across. Um, the stuff about tackles, I think this is all tongue-in-cheek. He's, he's probably just having a, a little uh, moment uh, against English football because he, he thinks there's a little bit too much focus on that blood and, blood and thunder or thud and blunder. Yeah. I think City fans, are, City fans are fine with it, to be honest. it's uh, It's been an interesting first half of the season. Perhaps the start was a little bit too good for him. The, the 10 straight wins got everyone thinking, well, this is going to be a cakewalk now. Yeah. Um, and he ran into a little bit of trouble, but we have to remember it's 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 not entirely his team yet. I know lots of money has been spent, but you know he's putting out a defence with Kolarov at centre half, uh, full backs that are either not good enough or, or getting past their best in in the likes of Clichy and Zabaleta. Um, we've had Fernando, uh, a slow moving defensive midfielder at right back. We've had three right-backs against Celtic and, uh, in a three-man defence where sure. nobody was really playing right-back. Um, all sorts of tinkering going on, uh, which has been fascinating to see. And when it works, you think, wow, that's marvellous. Kolarov looks like Franz Beckenbauer. <laughs> and when it doesn't, mm. Kolarov looks like Humpty Dumpty, you know. So yeah, yeah. Did, we have to stop being quite so fickle, I think. Yeah, that's a fair point. Did, did, did you get a sense all the same that there was almost a little bit of a PR initiative from Pep earlier in the week um, he came out he did a very honest uh, press conference midweek where he kind of almost accepted that he has a lot to learn about how English football works almost thrown a bone to the English journalists um, to an extent and then after the game yesterday he kind of said oh we spent hours working on winning the second balls and stuff you know almost stuff that wouldn't necessarily be in his normal lexicon you know yes it's the sort of stuff he perhaps he, he thinks the press wants to hear, yeah, uh, and maybe maybe somebody upstairs has, has taken him to one side and said, "Look, you know, if you, if you want some of these guys on on, on your side, yeah, and therefore on our side, uh, we'll have to change the tone a little bit." You know, there's a, a little bit of a problem being the manager of City, I think, as well because of the the, the investment that's come in there over the last uh, eight years or so. Um, a lot of jealousy from from certain corners and uh, certain area of the press that are, are willing the club to fail and perhaps willing him to fail because he's yeah. a big shot manager here you know I think there's an element of that and uh, that can be a bit difficult to deal with sometimes I think there, there does seem to be a certain enthusiasm out there for Pep to find it to at least find the Premier League difficult um, yeah but you know he, and the I told you so brigade uh, yeah are just waiting for that to happen you know the, uh, yeah. the Wednesday night at Stoke brigade yeah um, I'm sure that's, that's something that he has to adapt to, and it's, it's not easy to adapt to, but uh, you know, he's, been, he's been in the Bundesliga, and I'm sure uh, he wouldn't think that, that Bayern had, had it all their own way there. Um, uh, in Spain, perhaps it's a little bit easier, and probably from the press in, in Catalonia, he had the, most of the meeting out of his hand. So, you know, he's, he's got a different scenario here, and it'll, it'll take time to adapt to it, I guess. Sure. Before I let you go, um 
as you say, the performance on the pitch really clicked second half. Interestingly, again, um, Aguero wasn't part of it, and that's sort of been another maybe underlying theme of City's season that perhaps is Pep totally convinced that he can he can work around Aguero. Um, do you think that's going to uh, lend further sort of credence to the theory that maybe City are better without Aguero in some bizarre way? Well, it is bizarre, isn't it? But uh, that was certainly uh, clear for everyone watching that second half that City can be a serious title challenger without uh, Aguero up front, hmm. with Bravo in goal, yeah. with Fernando deputising in, in defensive midfield, and with a back four made up of cliche colour of Otamendi and Zabaleta. Uh, it, was, it was brilliant, but I'm sure that's not his first choice team. Yeah. Um, so when he gets the shape and the personality he wants, I think we should be looking forward to a, a second half of the season which will be more consistent and higher quality. We have, we have talked about um, Aguero a couple of times in, in recent weeks and, and, and his body language not maybe looking that good, culminating in the, in the lunge against Chelsea. Do you think there is an issue there? Is he a little bit, does he feel that he doesn't necessarily have the confidence of, of the manager or is there... Is there maybe, some... maybe. I mean, a new guy comes in, and he, if he's not all over you, you, mm. you, you might wonder what's happening. Perhaps Pellegrini was all, all over Aguero, and uh, that made him feel happy. Um, I don't think so, though, because Aguero is a fantastic player. Yeah, obviously. Uh, any, yeah. any manager would put him in as first choice. Mm. But there's a, there's a sort of strange dichotomy because he, he has been missing a lot of chances. You know, he. he scores a lot but my word he's, he's missed a lot this season as well yeah. um, and if we're looking at body language uh, Guardiola could be seen giving uh, Alexis Sanchez quite a big hug on the touchline at the end of the uh, game yesterday. yeah so, I noticed that yeah <laughs> January swoop perhaps yeah um, that would be nice yeah okay listen brilliant listen thanks for that Simon that's perfect we'll talk to you soon okay. again my pleasure Larry all the best cheers <clears throat> so as I said earlier I'm out in Cork County Hall today for the launch of the Monster Centre of Excellence uh, the project has been launched today by the Football Association of Ireland, by Cork County Council and Forest, a trust that operates Cork City. Um, the plan is to build basically a training centre which will be used by Cork City Football Club and also will be available as a, um, as a base for all the Irish or for all the Munster underage teams. Um, an ambitious project, three full-size pitches, natural pitches, two with flood lighting. Uh, we have full-size astroturf pitch, three small-sided um, Pitches, goalkeeper training area, and a purpose-built pavilion viewing area, classroom, gymnasium, dressing rooms, physiotherapy, and medical and team rooms, as well as a community area and other purpose-built facilities. Later, I'm going to catch up with John Delaney just to see when we can expect this to be built. Um, but first, Dave Myler was here just to launch the project today. Um, he had a chat with Trevor Welsh on stage, and Trevor began by asking him how things were going to Hull City. Well, um, actually, no, I actually have training this morning. Given the day off to, to come off for this, yeah. um, obviously, as everyone's spoke before me, it's, it's obviously massive for Cork, so you know, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, 2016 has been a, an exciting year for you, David, like with Republic of Ireland reaching the, uh, the Euro finals in France, of course, and Hull City back in the, the top flight, back in the Premier League, even though struggling at the moment. But how do you view the last 12 months in, in your career? Um, it's been it's been brilliant. Obviously, being part of uh, the Irish squad that qualified and um, going out to France, you know, obviously John and Tony were there to tell you about it. Um, everybody watched the games. You know, when Robbie Brady scored the header, I think you know, obviously the whole of Ireland celebrated. That's what it's all about. Um, 
at club level, obviously, our aim is to get back to the Premier League. Um, we had to achieve it through the, the playoffs after being top of Christmas. We kind of hit a bad patch, but we got there in the end. Yeah, uh, you got off to a great start, of course, with, with Hull and Premier League winning the opening two matches, but it's been it's been downhill since then. So you're ready for uh, another dogfight, uh, Dave, in, in the Premier League? Yeah, well, look, um, I, I presume most people watch football, they watch the Premier League, it's it's tough going. Um, the teams are very good, the players are very good, they're just getting better. You see, you don't see even as many Irish play, uh, players over there now because, you know, the money that's in it and the foreigners, they just, they bring in everybody and... It's, it's, it is tough, but look, uh, we were under no illusion that it was going to be easy, so we've got Man City on St. Stephen's Day, so we're looking forward to that, and, you know, I think I think we'll we'll get a result eventually. Indeed, um, talk to us about a, let's say, a typical week for you with Hull City in the, in the Premier League, what, what would be a typical kind of week for David Miner? Um, well, I've got an 11-month-old daughter, um, so she she more or less comes in and wakes me up about 7, 8 o'clock in the morning, I'll get up. I'll have breakfast, head to training. We train from probably half ten to uh, probably finish up over half twelve, quarter one. Then I'm free for the day. That's more or less it. Yeah, I'll go home and spend time with the family. Michal Martin points it up like, oh, you come from a very uh, strong sporting background, of course, but uh, your mother is here today, Stella, who swam for Ireland. And uh, of course, John's uh, very strong GA links, uh, so that obviously helps. It's uh, helped you throughout your career, no doubt. Well, I don't know if my dad really helped me, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> obviously you look, you look at say when the Austria game we played the Austria game, and then the following morning, obviously I'm at such a high after playing. And he's right. He rings me and says, "Oh, in the fifty third minute, your man's gone down the wing." He says, "What are you doing there? You should be five yards across." Sends me an email with everything about the whole game, but I wouldn't change it. Um, you talk, I heard you know, Martin obviously talk about analysing things, and my dad certainly analyses everything. <laughs> he goes to a lot of the games, so does he? A lot of the home matches? I don't know, can I say too much now? There's people from all different county boards and city boards. Like, keep the head down and say nothing. It's all being recorded as well, there. Yeah. But um, uh, this, this is something that's come up in a quiz question before. Uh, who's the only man to get a hat-trick in a Collingwood Cup final? And it's, it's John Minor, isn't it? UCC. The only man to do it in the final. He's not on his head there, he knows. He's glad we mentioned that, is he? Some feature. Yeah, he keeps telling me about it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you, you spoke uh, just a, a while ago as well, Dave, about um, you know, that Austria match was a significant victory for the Republic of Ireland, and you made a big contribution to that. So that was obviously a, a really good night for you um, in that match in Austria. Yeah, well, look, um, obviously it's been tough at times when I'm with Ireland because, look, every boy wants to play for Ireland, every footballer wants to play for Ireland, it is tough. Um, so I didn't get to play at the Euros, I was there, I experienced the whole thing. Um, obviously I was disappointed not to get there, but so the lads did terrifically well. But you see, I think when Martin picks a squad, he might pick 30 players, every single player wants to play for their country. Um, obviously only 11 of us can play, and then obviously I was given the opportunity against Austria um, so you've got to just grab it with two hands. You know, it's 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 a one-off, like I suppose, opportunity, and you've you just got to take it. Yeah, Could, things couldn't be going uh, much better for the Republic of Ireland in terms of World Cup qualification. I would top of the group, and more significantly as well, that Ireland have played three to four matches away from home. Yeah, well, look, obviously that's that's huge, and um, we've got ten points, but you know we've got Wales coming up next, which is going to be um, in March. It's going to be a tough game. Um, 
but we've given ourselves a great opportunity. We're we're at the front of the pack. They're chasing us, so we just need to stay there and you know keep picking up points. Yeah, I know it's easier said than done, but you know two home wins against Wales and Austria effectively kills off their chances. Yeah, yeah, she's been <laughs> <laughs> two home wins. And we take four points, I'd say. Um, but look, it's going to be tough. But I think I think we with Martin and Roy, I think we've given you know credit to. John and that bring them in, and then I think they've given us a great platform to go forward. And I think you know we'll we'll be going to the World Cup. Well, the relationship is obviously good with the lads, is it with Roy and and Martin? Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to say too much. I'm on camera. <laughs> <laughs> of course, our last World Cup finals was uh, in 2002. Dave, you were probably 12 or 13 back then, so it would be terrific to make a finals, a World Cup finals. Yeah, of course. Um, and obviously, the last Corkman that was at that World Cup. Decided to head away. What do you call them? It's good, con good continuity, though. There's no for less is more sometimes. <laughs> but uh, there's good continuity in, in terms of qualifying or for major finals. Like with, with Ireland qualifying for the Euros in 2012 and 16, so there's good continuity there. Isn't yeah, it? of course. Um, obviously, it's stuff like today why we're all here. Um, obviously, the centre of Cork is going to be it's going to be brilliant. Um, obviously, I'm just calling it. It's about 15 years too late. Um, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed it, but this is the start. Obviously, you see, I know ex professionals I play with with Cork City who are getting involved in coaching, and they're obviously helping the younger lads. And it's it's becoming tougher for you know not only Cork young fellas, obviously Irish young fellas to get to England to play in England. It is tough, but the League of Ireland has come on you know leaps and bounds. Obviously, obviously seeing John Coffey the way you go, I'm delighted that you know all their hard work over the last few years, you know to obviously win the cup. Um, I was kind of hoping they'd win the league as well. It's not that's season. next year, isn't it? Yeah, that's next year. <laughs> no pressure, John. Yeah. But where did you watch the cup final? Did you get a chance to watch it? Because I know you probably you think we were we playing that day, were you? Oh, we had a game, yeah. Um, obviously, I just got home after our match and I worked on the telly. And obviously, the old RTE player was very handy and uh, I got to watch extra time, so I was delighted when they, when they won. Mm. Uh, just in terms of facilities, obviously, you're used to training at top facilities. and. This is such an exciting plan now for, for Cork, and Cork has been waiting for something like this for a long time, hasn't it, Dan? Yeah, well, look, the young fellas of Cork need it. Um, obviously, it's going gonna, it's gonna to help, you know, Cork as a team, but it'll also help, you know, the, the youth of Cork. So it'll be good. Um, can't wait to see what it looks like when it's all done. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the, uh, the League of Ireland is in a strong place at the moment. When you look at what Dundalk did, I suppose, this season, and Darren Horgan and uh, Andy Boyle, who trained with when they came into the squad for... The Austria game, so it's all good for 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 our league here, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you you've seen the what what Dundalk have obviously done in Europe, um, it was fantastic. Obviously, they were they just came up short in the end, but you know even Cork City pushing them the whole way the last three seasons. So you know with the with the lads going to England, it shows you that if you if you're playing in the league hard and you're doing well and you're looking after yourself, and obviously you're not a bad player as well. But you know you get an opportunity to go to England, and you know if you look to the two of them, it's going to be tough. How do they do? Do you think? I think they'll do well. Well, I hope they do well. Um, the idea is to see them do well because it's encouraging then for everybody, you know, to obviously for projects like this, as you said, when they see that players are getting the development and they're going to take them to you know play with the big teams, it's it's, it's good. Just a look at the next game on St Stephen's Day, Dave. And it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Dave Meyer. Let's look at the seventeen. Thank you. he was to, to um, approach Cork County Council through Tim Lucy and, and, his, and his management team, which we did 
last year and we got a very good reception. So to secure the land and secure the planning commission were the, were the first objectives. Um, we've done that now. So to cost it and to look at the funding sources would be the next phase. Obviously already part of the new year and I'd be hopeful that we'll start working some stage next week. But it could cost up to eight or nine million euros. Um, between naming right partners, between UA for the Department of Sport, uh, ourselves and local businesses you'd expect that um, over a phase basis would be well able to Is there any indication of how that cost would be borne or broken down between the different parties? We'll talk to each partner. There's been there's been discussions and it's best now that we formalise that in the new year with everybody. The, the whole objective really over the last 12 months was to get the land, get the planning permission to it. Now we've a quantity surveyor with an indication of cost. Now we're going to go and talk to all the different partners. And we have a lot of goodwill for the project. You can see that from the Hall Mark. We've had that also from um, from all the political parties. So we'd expect, we'd, we'd expect um, support from that side. Also, I can speak to people who are naming partners. The FBI obviously will up for a contribution ourselves directly, and we'll talk to you. Any sense so far that you've had to adjust the plans to get this far, or has it more or less come through as an issue? No, it's come through as an issue. We really had a great, great relationship with Cork County Council and Pat Lyons. I have to really compliment Pat, who's the chairman of Forest. Um, he would obviously know, work to know the targets himself in the past, so he was really crucial as well. And I would never forget John Gilroy, the, um, the Labour, ex Labour senator. It was his idea actually when he came to me. Uh, a couple of years ago, when we were down at a late night league um, event at grassroots level, he said to me, There's a bit of land there you should look at. Is that his initial vision that, that it should be a kind of a city project as well as just a monster centre of excellence? That was the whole idea. Mm-hmm. And it was, it, was, it was John who said to me, Listen, there's land there. Mm-hmm. I came down, I looked at it, met Tim Lucy and his team. Before we knew it very, very quickly, everybody felt everybody was, uh, everybody was on the same side. Mm-hmm. And, and we've come a long way very quickly. There's some local objections, but nothing there that proved particularly problematic. Nothing that proved particularly problematic. The planning is true now. And, um, now it's a question of the new year, looking at the costs and looking at how we fund it. And one other thing there, you was mentioned in the presentation, sir, that this new, the intention is this should be run out of profit. Where, where, where do you think you can generate revenue this to make it? To, make it to be honest with you, we, we, we have um, a similar academy up in, up in Abbotstown, mm. and that doesn't run out of profit. That, no. that runs at a cost. Yeah. Um, the most important thing here is to build it. Build it for all the participants from elite football down to whatever grassroots football is going to play there, and that that facility is there for the kids in the surrounding area. The cost of running it, that's a different story. I mean, we, we, we the FIA, have absorbed that cost up in Abbottstown. We're also looking at another project in Greater Leinster, looking for planning permission in March this year. So, actually, building it is, the, is building it and also getting the kids the usage of it and the League of Ireland clubs like Cork City. That's the priority for me. The running cost is very much second. You mentioned the, uh, the possibility that a country might be able to use it at their base in 2020. Is that something you would also look to see clubs, clubs coming in and using it at their base? Yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely. If, um, if we could convince Obviously, if it was used for your 2021 on a training basis, that would be um, a real, a real um, positive for the facility. Of course, you'd like to see clubs come in here off-season, um, stay in Cork, there's great hotels, people are great, as we know. We used here for 40 years ourselves to prepare, so why wouldn't clubs come in to play some friendly matches um, and use the great facilities that that, that, that might would be? That's all we have for you this week. Wishing all our listeners a happy Christmas and talk to you in the new year. 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.